Well, it is so good uh, to be together with those of you who are here in the room. And with those of you online, we're so grateful to be able to share this time uh, together with you. Hey, if you're new with us, whether you're watching online or if you're new with us in the room, we have a gift for you after the service. Uh, for those of you in the room after the service, if you would go back to the welcome table, it's uh, by the green wall in the back. Uh, there'll be a host there. They'd love to give you a gift for being with us. And if you just do us a favor, fill out the connect card that's in the seat back of the chair in front of you and just take it back there if you can think about that, if you think about that and remember to do that. Uh, it would be great to have just a record of you being here. Also, if you're online, we have a gift for you and they're posting a connect card uh, in the link right there. And if you'll just fill that out, we'd love to send you a gift for being uh, new with us today. Hey, Wes. Let's let everyone who's watching online and those who are new with us in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that? Now, owning something is way different than something owning you. Having something is way different than something having you. Having something in your possession is different than like your teenagers having a phone and you feel like your phone owns them. That was supposed to be funny. I didn't say that in the first service, and so I didn't test that out on anybody. <laughs> but it's something way different. And, and really, there's this idea that is all through Scripture that is what we're looking at in this series. And it's that through that same paradigm. See, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has the church. God, this is the series big idea that we've been looking at over the, and exploring the last couple of weeks, that the church doesn't have a mission. And, and the, it's God's mission that has predated us as human beings. He has a church. And this is such an incredible paradigm. See, God's mission has been before you ever were born. God's mission was to restore his image in his humanity through Jesus' perfect life, through Jesus' sacrificial death, and through his life-giving resurrection. Jesus, therefore, is the foundation of this mission, and he is the foundation, as we learned last week, and the strength that every one of us have to carry out this mission, God's mission. And last week, we discovered that Jesus is this cornerstone. He's the cornerstone to God's mission. And that cornerstone is a foundation. Therefore, making Jesus the foundation for several different things. See, Jesus is the foundation for the worship of God. He's the foundation for the family of God, which we call the church. And he is the foundation for the mission of God. Every one of us, each and every one of us, as you came in today, and each and every one of us in, in some time of your life, in, if not now, you have a picture or had a picture of what God was like. And, and before you ever knew Jesus, you had a picture of what God was like. You had a picture of who God was like. And you also had a picture of who God liked in that. And, and since the beginning of time, since sin has corrupted what the picture we have of God, everyone has had a picture of this. And in the first century, this first century world, they had a picture of God. They had a picture of what God was like, who God was like, and they had a picture of who God actually liked. And many different people were varied on that picture of that. And when they saw Jesus, and when they heard Jesus, and when he came on the scene, Jesus did not fit their idea of who God was like. 
Jesus did not fit their idea of what God would be like because he didn't behave in the way that they thought God would behave. And Jesus didn't hang around the people who they thought God would hang around. See, Jesus had this remarkable thing about him. See, Jesus not only knew God, Jesus made a claim. See, Jesus claimed to embody the full nature of God. This was a revolutionary idea. This, this made Jesus, it was either revolutionary or it made him a rebellious man. Because he said, to see me, <laughs> to see Jesus is to see the Father. To see him is to see God. See, this was a revolutionary idea. This was revolutionary. See, God no longer was an ideal. God was now real. He had flesh. To see him would be to see God. To hear Jesus' words would be to hear the actual words of God. See, before this, before Jesus, it was to see the law. This was what it meant to see God. Before Jesus, to see a temple or to, to be in a temple was the only way to experience God. And before Jesus, and to the pagan world, a pagan world who, a pagan world who the, the God of the Bible or the God of the Jews and the, the God that Jesus represent, that they, didn't have an, that they didn't believe in that God, but they believed in a different God, to see an idol was to see God. But Jesus said no. To see me is to see God. And Jesus also said to worship me, to worship him, to worship Jesus is to worship God the Father. By professing the name of Jesus, by calling him God and, and professing him and worshiping him like we do on a Sunday morning, it's to worship God the Father. Jesus, while he was on this earth, he would, deny, he would not deny people to worship him. He would even say that if you don't worship me, these rocks will cry out on behalf of who I am. Because to see him is to see the Father. To worship him is to worship the Father and to believe in Jesus. See, to believe in Jesus is so important. Because to believe in Jesus is to receive your place in the family of God. In John 1, John would say to as many who has received him, to those who believed on his name, he gives the right to them to become children of God, to become a part of God's family. See, to believe in Jesus is to become a part of his kingdom family. By faith, you receive your place in the God's kingdom family. And to be a part of this family, you and I have a purpose. We have a mission because God's mission has a family and a kingdom family. And to do as Jesus did is to carry out his mission to establish the kingdom of God. When you and I who have put our trust in Jesus as our Savior and we've committed to following him as Lord, when you and I follow Jesus and we live as Jesus lived, we see as Jesus see, saw and we live as Jesus lived, we do as Jesus did, you and I advance a kingdom. We advance God's kingdom that brings life to people who put their trust in Jesus. 
See, we are a kingdom people who become the new temple, the new place where God where and heaven meets earth. And we become a new humanity. So all humanity can experience and find out who God is, what God is really like, and who God really likes. See, Jesus came to reveal God to us so we can have life in him. And the church carries out that same mission to people who don't know who God is, who don't know, truly know what God is like, and they truly don't know who God likes. And something Jesus did illustrated this best. Luke, the first century author and a historian, he records these words that Jesus shared. He likely got them from a colleague of his who was a disciple of Jesus named Peter. And Jesus encountered, um, he entered Jericho. And in this moment, we see an encounter he, he actually, he, he creates. And he enters Jericho. We read this in, in Luke chapter 19, that, and, and, and he was passing through this area of Jericho. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, you may have learned a story as a young child about Zacchaeus. And this is where that story comes from. He was there, and, and he was the chief tax collector, and was wealthy. Now, what you did not learn in your little Bible song story about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, and a wee little man was him, he, um, what you didn't learn is what being a chief tax collector really was. See, um, you have your own opinion of the IRS, and if you work for the IRS, uh, this is not anything towards you. I'm just trying to make an illustration here, okay? Um, You have your opinion of the IRS. IRS collects taxes on behalf of the government, and um, in, in that day and age, um, there were tax collectors, but they weren't governed by the government. They were self-governed to do whatever they wanted. And that means they could charge however much they wanted, whether they liked you or didn't like you. And so they would tax the Jew. They were Jews who taxed the Jews extra to make more money for themselves. They were so selfish. And here is the most selfish of all the tax collectors, the chief tax collector. And here's the view that people in that day and age would have of a tax collector. I want you to think about the worst category of person that you can think of, the most, the, the worst type of, you would say, this is the worst of all sinners. Just, you, you put that in your head. Don't say it out loud, please don't, because they may be sitting next to you. Um, who's that worst person? Because that's exactly who this category was in the first century. They were the worst of the worst. You had sinners, and then you had the bottom of the barrel, which were the tax collectors. And this was the CEO, the president of them all. He wanted to see who Jesus was. The worst of them all wanted to know who this was. (laughs) But because he was too short, this is where the song comes in, He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. In verse 5, we read that when Jesus reaches this spot, Jesus looks up and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay. And you got to understand what Jesus says here is so radical. I must stay at your house. There's so many things in this that I I can't really point out just because of time, but I want to point out this real quick. If you're claiming to be God and you're claiming the things Jesus claimed, you don't go into these places according to what these people think. And maybe you would think the same thing. 
Why would you go there? So Jesus does this. He says, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and welcomes Jesus gladly into his home. The crowd could not believe what they just saw. And it's going to get worse for them because what Jesus is about to do, they can't believe either. All the people saw this, we read, and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And let me remind you, he's not just a sinner. He's the worst of all sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up, and while they're at the house, maybe Jesus was teaching, and at this moment, he has a moment of conviction, and he surrenders, and he says this. He stood up and said to the Lord, to Jesus, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know what this is called? Radical repentance. And this is unbelievable. Like, this is amazing. But you want to know something that's more amazing to me, not his radical repentance? It was more startling to the crowd of what Jesus said next than what this man actually experienced. See, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man, looking at Zacchaeus, speaking of him, too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This represented God's mission. This represented Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost. The people, the people would never think God would like. The people who didn't have an understanding of what God was like or who God was like. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost, to search for and rescue those who cannot find God. Do you remember in week one, for those of you who are here in week one, in week one as we were introducing the series, we went back to Genesis 3 where sin enters the world because Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. They don't believe God's voice. They believe a lie instead. And in that moment, sin enters humanity's narrative. And at that moment... Humanity became orphaned from God and was lost. And God comes into the garden, going to Adam, and he, where are you? Where are you? Why would God say, where are you? Because he was recognizing that humanity would be lost. And at the moment, humanity became orphaned from God's family because of sin. And when God would say to Adam, where are you? It is like a reverberating commitment and call that this is my mission. I am coming to find you. 
This is what God has been on a mission. Since the beginning of time, God's mission was to come into this world and to seek and to save the lost. God came on a search and rescue mission to find those who were lost in their shame of their sin and to give them new life again. By announcing, where are you? God was calling, I'm coming. I'm coming to rescue you. There may be some listening today or some watching today. And there's something deep inside of you that you hear God calling, where are you? Where are you? Don't be caught in your shame. Don't be caught in your pain. I'm coming and I've come to rescue you. He's wanting you to know he is looking for you. See, before Luke would record this story in Luke chapter 19, Luke would share three little stories called parables and that Jesus would tell to describe what God was like and who God liked. And in these three stories recorded in Luke chapter 15, Jesus would describe himself as a father looking and waiting for the lost son to come home. Jesus would be the woman in in, uh, turning her house all upside down to find a valuable coin because the people who are far from God and lost are so valuable, he will turn the world upside down to find you. And Jesus would be a good shepherd who would leave the 99 sheep and go after the one who was lost. Where are you? See, Jesus came searching for the lost so they can be a part of a kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the mission of God. This is what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost. The kingdom of God. Think, some think that this is heaven, that this is only heaven, that the kingdom of God is only heaven. Some people think that this is only the earth, but it's more than that. And Jesus would teach us that the kingdom of God is more than that. See, the kingdom of God is not just a place. It includes a people. And the kingdom of God is the area of God's reign over the human heart. It's his reign and his rule over our hearts in our lives. See, our hearts corrupted by sin because we are born into this rebellion against God. God, It doesn't have God's rule over them. We do not want God's rule over our life. And that's the way we're born and what we're born into. And the only way for this to be fixed is not for you to behave your way into this. You can't fix this yourself. There's no good you can do that's good enough to fix this broken heart and this rebellious heart. There's only one way. The only way is to be given a new heart. A religious expert named Nicodemus, who was a lawyer of all the law, the religious law, he would corner Jesus in the middle of the night, seek him out and say, what can I do? What must one do to be a part of this kingdom of God? What must one do to have God's rule over their heart? And this is what Jesus would say to this Nicodemus. He would say very truly, and I tell you all the time, anytime you read Jesus' words and you see very truly or truly, truly, lean into this. He would say, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Only through a new birth can we become the new humanity 
that God is bringing into the world. Only a new humanity can be a part of God's kingdom. Only a new humanity can be the new family of God. See, that's what the family of God is. It's this new humanity, this new way to live life, this new way to experience the life that only God can give. The kingdom of God is not just a place. See, the kingdom of God is a people who has God's reign over our life. It's a movement of people, a force that advances. See, the kingdom of God advances when the lost find new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of this mission to seek and save the lost. And his kingdom advances when lost people like Zacchaeus find life in Jesus. Jesus is the center of this kingdom. And Jesus is the center of this new humanity, the family of God, who carries out the mission of God to establish his kingdom by reaching, by seeking, and saving the lost. See, this is what it means to establish his kingdom. And when Jesus um, asks his disciples, he asks his disciples a, a very uh, a hard question. It wasn't something they knew at the time. And he asked them, hey, who do you say I am? He asked them who people said they were, and then he just directly asked them, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter he would answer, and he wouldn't figure this out on his own. It actually was a revelation of God, and it became a revelation that Jesus would use to start a revolution. And in this moment, Simon Peter would answer about this revolution. This revolution would become the new humanity that Jesus would call something. And Jesus uh, would ask that question, and Simon Peter would answer and sing, You are the Messiah. Who am I? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus would reply to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, in other words, on this revelation of what you just said about me, on that revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That word church we learned last week is this word ecclesia. It's this word that doesn't mean building as we've translated and come to understand what a a church is in our day and age. It's not a building with walls and a roof. It's a people. It's a gathering. It's the new family of God. And by Jesus claiming to be the son of the living God, he was claiming to be the life-giving God. See, Jesus is building his church, a gathering, and he's building his church on the truth that he is the son of the living God and the savior of the world. He was claiming a bold claim. He was starting a revolution with a new humanity that would be called the church. He was claiming that he would build a gathering, the ecclesia, the church, and on this claim that he is God and the Savior of the world. See, Jesus now has a church to fulfill his mission to seek and save the lost. This new humanity, the church, you and I, the family of God, are to carry out Jesus' mission so the lost can find new life in Christ and can become the part of the kingdom of God. And when they become a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God advances. And death itself can't stop it. 
Hades, not even death, the realm of the death. Death itself cannot stop the church from taking ground. And the way we take ground is one way, seeking and saving the lost. Those who are far from God, that's how the kingdom of God advances. See, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has the church. And Jesus constantly shows us what we are to do on his mission. See, Jesus constantly called the lost to follow him. And we are to do the same. We are to see as Jesus saw. And we are to do as Jesus did. Seeking out those who are far from God so they can find life in Jesus. And you may be here today and go, man, I cannot do that. I can't, there's no way that I can do that. that that's your job, Casey, and that's why, that's why we need other people. I, I, man, you don't know my story. You don't understand that, that my story is what it is. You don't know what I've done. I, I've still got work to do. It's just, I can't do it. I, I, I feel, I, it's not my personality. I'm not as gifted in communicating. I don't even know what to say. And if that's you, I want you to realize something about what Jesus has done for you. Because what Jesus has done for you is greater than anything you've ever done against him. And when you put your trust in him, he gives you something greater than you ever deserved. He gives you a power. See, Jesus empowers every one of us. He empowers his church with the authority to go and make disciples who follow him. This authority would be made known through the resurrection of Christ. And after Jesus would come back to life, he would take these 11 ordinary disciples. He would look at these 11 guys and say, go meet me in Galilee. And he would take these fishermen that had no education. He would take these men who just, one of them just, just denied his existence almost and that he was even part of being with Jesus. These people, that when he died, they scattered. They didn't stand up for him. In fact, they were so afraid of having the same thing happen to them that they weren't by that grave. But after his resurrection, Jesus calls them and say, meet me at Galilee. And then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And we read this in chapter 17 of, of, of chapter 28 of Matthew. And, and, and in verse 17 here, he says, when he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. I want you to underline those words if you have your notes or if you have your Bible. I want you to underline all authority. Underline those two words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says this, therefore go. Underline those two words, therefore go. All authority, <laughs> so therefore go. See, to recognize that Jesus has all the authority is to understand something so important. It's to understand that he is Lord and there is no authority over him. He is Lord. This means you do not have authority over Jesus. He has authority over you. And after Jesus claims his authority in heaven and earth, Jesus gives a command to therefore go. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Acclaim all authority. I am Lord. A command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And a promise, a commitment, if you will. I will always be with you. See, Jesus empowers you. Jesus empowers you with the authority to go. And he gives you a promise that he will be with you wherever you go. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to witness to lost humanity and be on God's mission to save them. This is what the Holy Spirit's power is in your life. This is the function the Holy Spirit plays in your life to empower you to be a witness, as Acts 1.8 says, to empower you to tell the news of your story of what God has done for you, to share the good news with those who are close to you, but far from God. See, God's mission has an empowered church. And God's power is activated in your life when you join him on his mission to seek and to save the lost. Paul was someone who understood this. Paul, before he was ever an apostle and responsible for starting so many churches in the Mesopotamia area and in that area in the first century and that, that region of Galilee and all beyond and Rome and what was actually Ephesus and all of those areas. He was a religious guy and he knew all the rules. He thought he knew God and others thought that he really knew God. He knew all the rules, but something was missing in his life. He didn't have a relationship with God because he didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, if you know Paul's story, he, had, he, 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 he was part of the regime to get Jesus crucified. He, would, he was part of the movement to have Jesus' disciples arrested. And he would be the one and one of the ones responsible with guilt on his hands for having Stephen killed the first martyr. See, this was Paul's story. He thought he knew God, but he didn't. And Jesus, because he is out there to seek and to save the lost, and Paul was lost, Jesus sought Paul out and rescued Paul from his spiritual blindness. See, God has a mission to save all, including guys, men and women like Paul. And in this, Paul, he writes a, a, a letter about God's mission, about Christ's work and the church's role in accomplishing this mission. And he writes this to the church in uh, Corinth. And this is what he says. It's one of his follow-up letters. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, not just, not just those of you who think you deserve it, anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that is? Maybe not. Well, Paul describes it. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. What does that mean, reconciling? 
Paul defines it for you. Not counting people's sins against them. Let me say that because for some of you today, this is good news. Not counting your sins against you. Not counting anyone's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. What are you a witness to? You are a witness to what God has done in you, that God does not count your sin against you, that you are a witness to that God doesn't count your sin. And you know all your sins, don't you? I mean, you're the, you're the expert on everything that you've done. You know your story. You know all the reasons that God shouldn't like you. You know all the reasons that God shouldn't look at you. You know all the reasons. In fact, you've shared them time and time again. But God doesn't count the sins of those who see Jesus and put their faith in him. He doesn't count their sins against them. So what is our message to a world? God won't count your sin against you when you put your trust in him. And then Paul would say this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Christ, you can be made right with God. Your account with God is settled in Christ. See, what would it look like for the church to live as God were making his appeal through us? What would it look like? How would you talk? How would we talk? What would the words that come out of our mouth in a society that is so against God and is so lost from God? What would our behaviors look like? How would we treat people who are far from God as if we were living as God's ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal of what he's done in Christ? And he makes that appeal through the life that you live. How would you treat the people around you who don't know what God is like, who don't know who God is like, and they don't know who God likes? How would you treat them? What would you say to them? See, the church is to be God's voice to the world as an ambassador, because that's what ambassadors do. We represent God making his appeal, making, not my appeal, not your appeal. We're making his appeal to be made right with God by trusting in Jesus' perfect work, his sacrificial death, and his life-giving resurrection so they too can be made right with God. See, here's a teaching big idea that I want you to leave with, and I'm gonna give you some practical ways to live this out real quick. Jesus' church is to advance God's kingdom by reaching and discipling the lost. See, this is Jesus' mission. And Jesus' mission has a church that carries out this mission of advancing his kingdom, his rule over the human heart by reaching the lost and discipling them to follow Jesus. We see the lost as Jesus sees the lost and we are witnesses to what Jesus has done for us. And we teach them how to follow Jesus. That is, is what we do. 
So let me ask you, what does this mean for you as a follower of Jesus? Well, it means you first need to know your story. See, your story is you are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. This is what your, this is your story. This is every one of our story. This is the good news of Jesus. You are made right with God by trusting in Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his life-giving resurrection. This is the work that, that all you have to do is trust in him and receive it. You're not made right by your own behavior. You're made right by Jesus' willful obedience on the cross. But now you need to realize you are called into a ministry. Every one of us are called into this ministry of reconciliation. And that reconciliation is this, is we disciple people to live in response to God's work in Christ to make us right with God. This is what we do. We disciple people to live in response to God's work through Christ that makes them right with God. How do you respond to that? How do you live in response to that? This is what we disciple people into. This is the ministry of reconciliation, helping people be, be put back into right standing with God, not through their behavior, but through Christ's perfect work on the cross. And we cannot ignore this calling. Every follower of Jesus has been called into this, seeking the lost and being a witness to them that Christ's work alone makes them right with God. And we teach them what it means to respond and live in response to this life-giving work. See, you are a witness to the good news that God reconciles to himself all who trust in Jesus. This is your story. This is where you know that you can share it freely. You don't, be, you don't have to be ashamed of your story and you can use all those things that you were ashamed of not to exalt you, but to exalt the saving power of a God who is bigger than any mistake you've ever made. And just as he saved you, he can save those who trust in Jesus. God doesn't count our sin against us when our faith is in Christ. And that is the life we live. See, the life you live is a witness that Jesus makes all who trust in him right with God. People like you, people like me, he makes all. And so we need to see that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are living as if God is making his appeal through us to those who are far from God. What would it look for you, what would it look like for you to live your life as if God was making his appeal to you? What would it look like to live your lives as if God were making his appeal to the lost through your life? What would it look like for you to step into your office tomorrow morning and you step into your office with, the, with this authority that you're an ambassador and you're gonna live that day and you're gonna speak that day and you're gonna treat others as if God is making his appeal to them through you. What would it look like for you, student, that's about ready to go back onto campus on your school and, and, and there's so many kids out there, they're shutting God out of their life and you're gonna stand up and you're gonna stand up in a way that's different. You're gonna stand up in a way that you're gonna step into this authority, that you're gonna live as if God were making his appeal through you. What would it look like? As you, your, your kids get back into rhythm and you're in that group of people and, and they're hanging out as your kids are playing a sport and then all of a sudden you have the opportunity to step into the authority that God's given you that you are God's ambassador. 
And you're going to, in that moment, you're going to see people the way God sees them, and you're going to treat them the way God treated them. The people who don't know God, and they're searching for what God is like, who God is like, and who, God's like, who God likes. And you're going to be a representative on his behalf, making his appeal to them. What would it look like to do that? I believe that when the church engages the lost, when the church does this, when we do this, we become the place where heaven meets earth and God's kingdom advances. And it's not your mission. It's greater than you. It's God's mission. And God's mission has each and every one of us who have put our trust and our faith in him, who know what Christ has done for us. And his mission advances when we see the lost as he sees the lost. And we make the appeal on God's behalf of what God, through Christ, can do for them. Father, may we live as your ambassador, as if God, you were making your appeal to this lost world that is far from you, of what Christ's perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his life-giving resurrection can do for anyone who puts their trust in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do not miss next week because it's the follow-up to this teaching.